Hello, and welcome to Rise of the Data Cloud. Today's episode features an interview with Jack Berkowitz, Chief Data Officer at ADP. Jack has spent the last 20 years as a senior leader at a variety of companies, including being the Vice President of Products and Data Science at Oracle. On this episode, Jack talks about the importance of keeping your product simple, data sharing, applying ethics to algorithms, and much more. So please enjoy this interview between Jack Berkowitz, Chief Data Officer at ADP, and your host, Steve Hamm. Jack, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thanks, Steve. It's really great to be here. Yeah. Now, most people have heard of ADP. They know the company prepares their paychecks. But it would be good to start off if you could describe the business knowledge dimensions. Yeah, so ADP does that. A lot of people know us. The company's been around for about 72 years, maybe 73 now. And we process payroll, but we do a whole lot more. So we pay about one in six people in the U.S., but we also provide HR, human resource systems, for uh, a large number of people as well. We also then process the taxes for additional people. So a lot of you may have your W-2s coming from ADP, for example. We deal with insurance. We deal with retirement. We deal with money movement. In other words, so a company may give us the money on deposit, and then we'll pay taxes or to all the different jurisdictions where their employees work. And so we move about $2.5 trillion a year. We issue somewhere around $70 million, maybe slightly more than that, W-2s. We even get involved in gig workers. And we do this also around the world. So we have a massive footprint here in the U.S., but also in 140 countries around the world. You've described, I mean, what is an, almost like a fountain of data. It's a tremendous amount of data. And uh, it can be used you know, by companies internally or for, to manage their own kind of finances and business and operations. Or it could be used combined in different ways and used to analyze the health of the economy or the business community or economic trends and things like that. So what are some of the more unusual uses or are these kind of bigger, broader, more powerful uses of ADP's data? Well, I think you nailed it. It's understanding the world's economy or at least the U.S. economy, which then amplifies out to the world economy. One of the things that we produce actually as a, as a, in the public interest, we have a organization here called the ADP Research Institute. And every month we generate the ADP jobs report, which tries to give a view of the U.S. economy in terms of hiring and unemployment, growth of wages. And during COVID, this was really an interesting and leading indicator about what was going on. The financial markets look at that data once a month. The federal government takes a look at things like that. University researchers are using it. And so that's one of the great uses of the data. And it's been so successful here in the U.S. that we have it in Canada as well. And you'll see us continue to look at it over time. Now, off of that, we have other groups using the information for things like demand planning or location planning for companies because we have such a fine grain in terms of what people are making, where are they located, and what types of skills are available. For example, in, in South Texas, I was just reading about Tesla and, and the rocket launches and things like that. 
So what type of skills are available in South Texas versus what type of skills are available here outside of New York City? And so we have all of that type of information that people use for lots of different reasons. It's interesting. The Bureau of Labor Statistics and other federal agencies and state agencies too, collect and publish a lot of employment data, a lot of economic jobs data and stuff like that. So how is your data different and what makes it so useful? That's a great question. So a lot of the data that people see in the labor markets is based on surveys. And so what do I mean by that? You know, your HR department will receive a survey either from the federal government or from a compensation benchmarking company, and they'll fill out that survey and they'll say, hey, this is what's going on. This is how many people we have. This is the average salary. Or the survey may be collected directly from you. So you may go on to a site where you're trying to get you know, a job posting. You say, yeah, I make 180000 a year or something like that. ADP's data is actually derived directly from the payroll and HR transactions that are going on through the transactional systems or through the financial networks. And so our data is very precise and it's also essentially in real time or within a month or so. So the surveys take a long time to to be mailed in, mailed back, there's delays to them, there's processing. And if you look at the BLS, essentially about 13 months later, they true it up to the actual tax data that the government has when you pay your taxes. Yeah. But you have a, a big slice, but it's still a slice of the market. Do you extrapolate the patterns and trends you see in from your clients to the larger economy and uh, jobs picture, or do you do it in a different way? No, that's exactly right. We do extrapolate it. We use external information just the way anybody else would and combine it together. And then we We're actually using a set of neural networks to do this. And we can project, particularly for the U.S. and for other areas, with high precision, information that covers almost all U.S. workers. Oh, so it's more, it's like you do modeling and simulations based on your subset and project it to the whole universe. That's right. That's right. We have between 18 and 20% of payroll data, another 20% of tax data. So that combined gives us enough of a foundation such that when we do the modeling and the extrapolation, it's highly precise. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. Now, you, I guess you have a whole array of different size and types of clients so that you can replicate the, the total picture from them. That's interesting. Yeah, that's yeah. right. When the low end of the market, we're by far the market leader in the small business arena. So zero, one to 50 employees. And then we have a large chunk of the mid-market as well. But as we even move into the upper market, companies in the five and 10,000 area, we have a really nice representative sampling there as well. So we're able to go uh, from the very biggest down to the very smallest and represent what they need. Our biggest customers for this data is actually those clients. They're using it themselves for people analytics, for benchmarking and everything else. And so... We're getting direct feedback on how to improve it over time as well. Yeah. Now, you're leading product development for the ADP data cloud. So we want to establish some basics here. What do you mean by that? What is the ADP data cloud? What's the strategy for taking advantage of the data cloud? And I know I want to hear about the kinds of applications you're developing. Yeah, yeah. 
So the data cloud is really a collection of capabilities. On the one hand, we build a people analytics product, and that's what we sell to HR departments. On the other extreme, we build machine learning that is part of our applications that we provide to our clients. So if somebody's having an HR application or a payroll application, that application will become intelligent through the machine learning apps that we build. And then the data cloud also is that collection of data that then on the other side, we monetize and we may monetize it through licensing of data, like we talked about. So right. people may purchase the data or license the data for doing demand planning, for example, or through employment verification. So we have a number of partners that will do employment verification. So if you're taking a loan for a mortgage or a car and you opt in and you say, hey, yeah, I, I want you to verify my income. There's partners that will do that verification. And for that, they will source the information from us. Now, I understand that you're building a whole new kind of data distribution business in the cloud. How does that change the way ADP engages with its customers? What's the quality of the, the engagement? And how do you build and market data products for that? We are going to the cloud. Snowflake is a big portion of what we're, we're doing. We also work in, in AWS uh, to make that happen. The reason to do this is really about pace and flexibility. Pace for us to be able to have that information out as fast as possible monthly data with only a few days of a lag, variability or flexibility for our clients. So our clients may be saying, hey, I want to get information about, for example, in demand planning, I need a different cut. I need a different slice. I need more industries or I need a different geolocation. So it gives us flexibility and it gives us the ability to deliver it in different ways. One thing about our information, it's great. The other thing is you need to have a knowledge about payroll. I get paid once a month. Other people get paid twice a month. Some people get paid weekly. Some people get paid bi-weekly. And what we want to do through the distribution is simplify that for people. And then so they can consume it in the ways that they want. Why should they have to come to us and get us a, to FTP a file to them having the cut? Why can't they just consume it right inside of the data system that they're using? And so that's what we're looking at in terms of distribution to make it easier for people to take it and easier for them to consume it in a way that they understand it. Yeah, yeah. Hey, do you think over time, like this will be your main channel of distribution, your main means, or is it just going to be an element or an alternative? You know, it's a great question as to how distribution is going to happen. And it really gets down into use cases for the consumers. What do I mean by that? We just launched a a SaaS product called Real Income. And the SaaS product has visualizers that are great if you're an executive or somebody like me who has an operational requirement or an operational duty to see migration patterns of people or commuting patterns of people. So that's one of the capabilities that Real Income has. It has a visualizer inside of it that shows who's migrating to Austin and who's leaving Austin. Not very many people, by the way, are leaving Austin. Yeah. But other people want the raw data, right? Data scientists want the raw data. And then some data scientists don't want the raw data. They actually want it in a table format that's joined to all of their other data. It really depends on the use case and the profile of the end user to take the information. Okay. So it'll be a mixed 
distribution uh, channel for a while than it sounds. Now, I I noticed that you worked for Oracle for a number of years before this. So you've been on the software vendor side. Now you're on the customer side, but your your job is to create applications, create software. You're kind of a bridge between two worlds. How has this affected your perspective now in your new role? That's a great question. I came up as a software developer and I came out building product. And I'm building product here, but I'm also building it on top of platform pieces that I don't need to build myself. It's really, what am I building? Our teams are building content and visualizations of content. And so those pieces of infrastructure or those pieces of analytic capability, we're more more likely to go and, for lack of a better phrase, OEM it, incorporate it into our products so that we can provide the content. And that's really it. We see ourselves as a content team. We will build technology if we need to, but mostly what we want to do is use the best of breed technology, bring it together, get it out the door fast so that our users get the greatest content available. And that's what we're focused on here. Yeah. So it's a stack and a lot of the bottom layers come from somebody else. And I imagine you throw in a lot of open source code and stuff like that into the mix where you build. I'm curious, how important is visualization these days? Visualization of data, is that something that's really taking off that your consumers within the company or your clients really want to see? Or is that is that a big deal? Again, it depends on who. And for our HR users, for our payroll users, the people who, who are using the bulk of our people analytics, it's vital. Mm-hmm. It's vital. These people, I think the misnomer is that People and companies have infinite time to explore data using GUIs. Mm. And for most of us, that's not the case. The HR person or the payroll person or the person doing operations planning, demand planning, they may want to do some deep investigation. Quite frankly, if you give them a picture or better yet, augmented analytics that processes the data on on their behalf and highlights an exception on a visualization, that's what they prefer. Then they can go dive in. And so we build and spend a lot of time talking about visualization. I have a very big user design team as part of my group, but we're really, what we're trying to do is make visualizations incredibly simple for people to absorb really complex information. If you could see me right now in my office, behind me are all four volumes of Tufty's books. And uh, these are things that that we look at frequently. And visualization is important to us. Yeah. I think it takes a long time for people to understand that a big complex thing isn't a good visualization. Something that just graphically tells the story that's as simple as can be is going to be the powerful way to go. I started my career as a flight deck designer. I have a graduate degree in human factors engineering. Uh-huh. There's not a lot of us out there. And I started working on airplanes when I first got out of graduate school 30 years ago. And I remember somebody telling me early in my career at the FAA, hey, look, um, let's not overcomplicate things. If a pilot is flying into a mountain, let's just have the alarm tell them to pull up. Yeah. And it's a really good point for designers and people like us that are into data to keep in mind. Sometimes the, the user just needs to pull up. And then later they can go in and explore what went on. 
And it's just something that I always, we always try to keep in the back of our minds. As yeah. We That's interesting is keep it really simple on the surface, but then give people like infinite capabilities of drilling down and exploring when it's, when they have the time and inclination. Exactly. Exactly. Because they do need to get to the core reason. Yeah. And, and we need to provide them all that ability to get there. Yeah. Now, ADP is in the middle of migrating a ton of data to the cloud and then also distributing data products from the cloud. But I imagine there have been challenges. This is a new thing. So I want to explore a little bit. What are the challenges that you've encountered and how have you overcome them? So data gravity remains the largest issue for us. And I don't know what that is, I'm afraid. Yeah, let me explain. Okay. <laughs> so where's the weight of the data? Where's all the data actually at? So it's great you want to migrate it to the cloud. But boy, we have 70 years of systems running in existing data centers. So one of the big challenges is for us to actually gather and align, move, and clean the data as it goes up to the cloud. The second major challenge is an age-old challenge that people in the BI world have had, or the business intelligence world, or the data world have had for years. And it's the second problem isn't solved. And that's the shared semantic. So what do I mean by that? The metric, headcount in the company. You would think that's an easy thing to do. There's a lot of variations. So am I counting the people that are here today? Yes. Am I counting the people that have resigned but not left yet? The people in the UK might be on garden leave. Well, maybe. Am I counting the people that have accepted the job but haven't started yet? Am I counting the people that are out on maternity leave or paternity leave? So the definition of metrics is a second major challenge that we've had as we move to the cloud. Not because of anything other than that I'm that our team is part of a 9,000 person technology group. And across 9,000 people, there could be lots and lots of different interpretations of business rules and software and best in breed, best practices. And so our ability to, to bring the data together as a data platform, and then to have those, the variability or the flexibility, but still standard metrics, these have been our two biggest challenges as we moved all of this into the cloud. Now, I'm, guess, I'm just guessing here, but it seems like probably a lot of your data and a lot of your processing traditionally has happened in IBM mainframes. Does that create any challenges for migration to the cloud? <laughs> yeah. So a lot of it's been in IBM and a lot of it's been in Oracle and a yeah. lot of it's been in other things. You know, I think it could generate problems for us, but one of the greatest things about it that the company overall has been united on this. And we've been able to work to get APIs so that the information can be streamed out from the mainframe systems. So we, we have a streaming API on top of our mainframe systems. We have streaming APIs and streaming systems from you know legacy Oracle databases and other systems databases. That only happens though, because all the development teams are bought in on our notions of data mesh architectures right. and things like that. And that only happens because our team's done a really nice job explaining our strategy about moving to the cloud. I'm really proud of the amount of architecture and the engineers working together with some of our key partners to be able to describe what's needed 
And I've been here in the role about two and a half years. I haven't had what I read about online about people wanting to control their data. And mm. I haven't had that, that experience here at ADP. And that's been really refreshing and it's helped us hit our goals. Oh, the idea of business leaders wanting to hoard their data and not share it with anybody, that kind of thing. Yeah, maybe that exists, but we haven't seen it here. And and the more I talk to my peers, either in other technology companies or other financial services companies, I think that's an aging practice. I think a lot of companies now realize, hey, no, it, it is all about the data. Maybe five or 10 years it wasn't, but today I think everybody gets it. It's all about the data and we've got to share it to be able to, to move forward. Yeah. And moving stuff off of a mainframe. If you want to talk about the classic hard problem to solve, but the team solved it very efficiently. Yeah. It's interesting. I've heard people comment that, you know, about that hoarding data thing, that yes, there's value in keeping the data close to a specific business unit, but for an enterprise or internally or with its partners, there's much more value in sharing it. And I think that is a lesson that is now accepted by most everybody. Yeah, I would, I would hope so. I think there, there is the concern, obviously, around security. Right. And we're dealing with data. It's not necessarily health data, but it's pretty sensitive to individuals. What do you make? Well, that's something that's very sensitive. And we are, if there's one thing about ADP, we're hyper-focused on the security of everything. The, the encryption, the role-based access controls, the masking, all of these types of things, they're present throughout our data pipelines, throughout our data analytics, throughout our machine learning, and throughout our data distribution as well. Anonymization is utmost in any of the data that we release. And these are important principles that we live by. That makes a lot of sense. Now, earlier in our conversation, you mentioned Snowflake, your customer. So let's go back in history a little bit. When and why did you begin working with Snowflake? Um, We've been working together to prove this out over the past year. So it was really at the beginning of the pandemic is when we started to really get engaged. So it was about that time, shortly after that time is when we really started to dive in. And it was really for three reasons. And it's everything that we've talked about so far. One of them was around pace, our ability to just iterate and have new data products, new capabilities available. Second thing is about access and that shared control of the data and the metrics and everything else. And the third thing is the distribution. Snowflake has an ability for us to deal with distribution in interesting ways. And we're hearing from clients that they want to use it and we're interested in using it. So it made a, a really nice move for us to, to adopt the platform. Do you find that a lot of your clients are already using Snowflake so that all that data sharing is just so much easier? Increasingly. We still have clients that, that are looking at the use of different types of systems, but the flexibility is there and we are getting the demand. Hey, do you guys have a Snowflake account? Can you just distribute it to us that way? Mm-hmm. Just one of the biggest consulting companies in the world just asked me exactly that question two weeks ago. And it was nice to be able to say, yeah, we can handle that. Right. And so we're seeing it take off that way. You know, it's that have it your way thing, 
right? Yeah. yeah. Let's get into a little bit of detail here with uh, the Snowflake Data Cloud. If you could mention a couple of applications, a couple of ways that you're using it most intensely and, and with the most, the clearest results, that would be helpful. Yeah. So the first thing that we're doing with it is providing our benchmark data, whether it's compensation data or uh, benefits data or any of those types of aggregations, that national data that we were talking about, we're using it to calculate and store and distribute that information downstream. And, and the other thing that we're using it for is taking exactly the same information and backing one of our existing SaaS applications with Snowflake as opposed to our previous approach. And so Snowflake is essentially acting as a, a multi-tenant SaaS enabler <laughs> for right. us for a visualization capability for our HR and our payroll customers. The first two places we're using it is around this anonymized aggregated benchmark, compensation benchmark information. Yeah. Oh, that sounds great. Now, I understand that you have some big plans for using Snowflake's data marketplace as a sales and distribution channel. Why is the data marketplace model so powerful for you and, and how do you plan on using it? Powerful for us in terms of distribution. Right. Snowflake has a growing number of clients and it helps us with our sales acceleration, our ability to get traction with the data scientists at those customer, at those clients, at those customers, those joint customers. And because we can put it into the context that they're going to be doing the balance of their data analysis, our data just shows up as additional things that they can use. It just really streamlines. It takes the friction out. I think that's really, it takes the friction out. Now, one of the other things we're doing is we're combining our information ahead of time with some other data partners to give even richer data sets. And so one of the ones that we've been working with is Intercontinental Exchange. These are people that work in the financial markets, Intercontinental Exchange also, the New York Stock Exchange is part of Intercontinental Exchange. So we're working with the data group there, ICE Data Services, to build a value-add combination of our information and then in turn distribute that out via Snowflake. And so that combination is for municipal bond ratings, mm. just something that ADP would never have gotten into. And I think that's the key. These are use cases that ADP would never have gotten into. We don't know much about, but by using the data exchange, we're able to combine the data between ICE and ourselves and come out with a, a new data product that nobody's ever even thought about before. Right, right. And I think that's the exciting part of it. Who knows where it's going to go? You're just going to see combinations of information for all sorts of different use cases over time. That's really interesting. So if, if a customer goes onto the data marketplace and shopping around with a cart looking for all kinds of data, basically you're saying, oh, you don't have to pick every individual source. We'll combine it for you in kind of use cases so that you just buy the package. It's all there. It's pre-integrated ready to go, that kind of thing. I see these sort of ecosystems, a consortium of a consortium emerge, right? So here's the data you need for, for you know, understanding the economy. And instead of me having to go pick a thousand sources, what do I know about, you know, tire shipping? One of the best use cases I ever heard for data monetization was 
Michelin tires being shipped in and what that meant to the economy in France. Oh, as an indicator. Yeah, as an indicator. Yeah. What do I know about tires? But the yeah. idea that that somebody's going to combine that together and then you can just say, hey, I've got an economic indicator that includes 25 sources. Fantastic. Now, it's early days. Not all of those exist, but right. you're going to see these over the next you know, few years. And we're excited to be part of that uh, ability. Now, your business has been really vital for the economy and, and for the business world the last year during COVID because so, it's such an unusual situation. Things were so hard to predict. Strengths that were you know not expected popped up. Look at the stock market. Weaknesses, we still don't know where all the weaknesses are. And I would imagine that in the coming months, as governments and businesses try to put things back together and put them together in new ways even, that, that your data and also the technology used to deliver it will be really important. So I want to ask you, look ahead over the next year. What are the most important trends that you see in cloud computing, data analytics, and specifically in your marketplace? Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because this time last year, I was sitting right here at this desk, looking at the screen, uh, watching the economies melt. There's no other way to put it. But where do I see it going next? Um, Well, certainly we're seeing the strength pick up through these early signals. And we see things like job postings at way higher than pre-COVID levels. We see things like background checks way higher than COVID levels. And so, you know, we certainly see strength in the economy overall. I think that technologies that are important are related to pace. It's related to uh, security, as we discussed. I think there's a world of ethics as well that's going to start to play into whether it's people data or any data as to whether or not you have the information, but should you be using it and how should you be applying it? We all remember that there were hedge funds that shorted the market a year ago. And, and I suppose in some people's minds, they made money, so that was okay. They but shorted it, and as a result, it, it went deeper and worse than it went deeper. It might right. have, yeah. Yeah. I think all of us in the data world should really be thinking about the ethics of when to apply and how to use. Maybe it's not the data, but maybe the algorithms, or maybe just the decisions of how to apply. I think it's, you know, if you look at the news today about what's happening, maybe not in the US with the vaccination program and how well things are going here, but if we think about everybody else around the world, I think one area that is not necessarily a technology, but about technologists is what do we do for the information so that we don't find ourselves in the same situation five years down the road. And so I I have a lot of trends in terms of new technologies. I'm talking to the heads of, you know, various, you know, technology partners all the time demanding, hey, I need this feature and that capability. We're pushing the outer edges in terms of security. But one area that I I personally uh, am spending a lot of time on is data and AI ethics. And you're going to see that 
as more and more people pick up ML operations, ML ops tools, the ethics, the ability to monitor, is there bias? Are you not giving equal opportunity to women-owned businesses? Are you not giving equal opportunity to people of color through your algorithms? Uh, this needs to be transparent and you as a technologist need to take a decision as to how you want to behave and how, right. what you want to do. It's a little bit different of a discussion than maybe we were all having two years ago, three yeah. years ago. That's I actually did some research into this recently, looking at what organizations have ethical guides or practical guides for using artificial intelligence. And usually data is a piece of this. The U.S. Department of Defense actually had one of the, the highest quality and most thoughtful guidelines that I had seen around. And it was really impressive. But you understand they have an immense amount of very sensitive data. And they have 1.5 million active military employees and, and, and other stuff. So they really are at the cutting edge of a lot of these questions. I was surprised but pleased to see that, that they had done that kind of work. Yeah, we... At ADP, we did exactly the same thing. About Just before this time last year, we published our guidelines. They're on our website of AI, data and AI ethics. We actually have a sitting board of people from ADP as well as outside experts where we get together and we talk about data and AI ethics. We review programs where people want to use data, people want to build AI capabilities, and we we check our programs to ensure that they're in line with ADP's values. Yeah. In fact, right before this podcast, I was in an AI data and AI ethics board meeting. And I think you're going to see this as a trend, hopefully, over the next few years. And that's the thing, right? You know, this pandemic has been something uh, significant. We'll all remember it in our lifetimes. And I think it's something that, we as technologists, and I am, you know, think of myself as a technologist, should and can contribute back to the world. I like that idea of having the advisory board. And it's so important to think about these things ahead of time because technology and business are moving so fast and it's hard to put the genie back in the bottle. So you've got to kind of anticipate, you know, what might happen and try to head it off. I even think of this as like nuclear nonproliferation. I think it's like AI and data, making sure that this doesn't become damaging. And I think it looks like you guys are really on a path to, to assuring that or trying to make sure of that. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, right? Um, I reflect back on my career, and these weren't concerns that I had in the internet rush, right? right. I'm an older person now. I've been through it, right? I, I remember when somebody said, have you heard of J2EE? Right, like, right. Yeah, I remember those days. I remember I remember the internet boom. I remember the bust. These weren't concerns. But we have so much power at our fingertips today that these are concerns that we all must have. I see the future. What a fascinating modern age we live in. Is this what the future holds? So we've talked about kind of the next year or so, the kind of things you guys are watching, but... I want to ask you to put on your visionary cap for a minute and look out like five years or more. How do you see data, the data cloud and, and just big data in general, impacting business and even society? 
you know, the, the level of automation is, I think, going to be stunning to us. Um, we've always had this notion since probably Dick Tracy cartoons or things like that back in the 40s about this mixed initiative interaction between people and machines. And, you know, today it's, you know, still a pull from a person. Siri, do this, yeah. you know. I think when we start to really have the mixed initiative, the push from the system, it's the real push, not, hey, uh, do you want me to remind you of the alarm? But um, just whether it's alerts, whether it's I've taken care of this for you, that level of automation, I think, is going to really transform. I don't know if it's five years or 10 years, but it's in that time range. We're seeing it now, the, just the explosion of, of, of electric cars. I was just looking at the new review of the Mercedes that just was released last week. And this level of automation is going to be kind of amazing. Now, people will shape it to where they want to use it. But it's kind of crazy. It's 2021 and I need a new iPhone. And 2007 is when the iPhone came out. It came out 15 years ago. I can't believe it. 14 years ago. I can't believe it at this moment. Still feels like a new device to me at times, right? But think about what it's going to be 10 years from now. And I'm just amazed to see all that's going to be enabled by data, all that's going to be enabled by these technologies that we're all working on. But it'd be really interesting to see, you know, um, I, I just saw these photographs where they can take an old photograph from the forties and animate it. So that the person seems to come alive. Oh my God. It's just mind boggling. And then when I sit down and I talk with somebody, not just from my, you know, my parents' generation, but even the generation before, and they're still with us, people from World War II. Think about what they saw when they were in their 20s and 30s, or yeah, when they were in their teens and 20s. Think about the kids today that are eight and 10 years old, what they're going to see. The acceleration is incredible. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's funny, my father died two years ago at age 98. When he was a teenager, he was plowing fields with a mule. And in the 1960s, he was designing moonwalk vehicles. Yeah. And so it's almost like from the Bronze Age to the, the electronic age, the digital age, in just a, a few decades. But things have accelerated since then. And I think that's what you're talking about. I think it's really amazing. And I really think we have to think about a partnership between artificial intelligence and human intelligence because it's really through an interaction, an, an, an engagement that you really get the, the big benefits. It's not just about automation anymore. It's really about collaborating and, and getting things done that neither humans nor machines could do as well on their own. That's right. That's right. And how that comes together is going to be fascinating. I just saw that you can buy one of the Boston Dynamics dogs for $74,000, but I'm not sure I'm ready to do that yet. I still like my, my, <laughs> my guy, but, but yeah, uh, you know, that $74,000 is going to be $740 before you know it. And then what do you do? How are you going to interact? Is it going to play fetch? I just don't know. I don't think anybody's going to be carrying backpacks on their hiking trips anymore. They'll just have a little 
mechanical dog behind them carrying it. Exactly. Like that. Exactly. For your information, there's a lot more to ogres than people think. Really need to dig deep and get to know the real you. In the real up close and personal. You know, we always like to finish off our podcast with a question that's kind of, you know, per- more personal, lighter, more fun and stuff like that. And, and I understand that you're one of those people who's who typically in the past before COVID would fly tens or hundreds of thousands of miles a year for business. COVID obviously has changed all that. So I want to understand how has COVID changed your work life and how has it changed the way you think? It's a great question. And yeah. That's not really a light question, I realize, but no, it, it's yeah. not light and playful, but, <laughs> but, but I'll give you a couple I'll right. give you a couple of decent examples. Right. Um yeah, I did. I I I I flew one in two back to back years, I flew over three hundred thousand each year actual right. flight miles. Right. Not just the United Premier Accelerator miles. And it's a lot of lonely time when you're sitting in a plane. Better yet, a lot of lonely times when you're sitting in the airport waiting for that plane to take off. Um, certainly, I sleep eight hours a night now, and I don't feel guilty about it. I, I probably lost 15 pounds. I'm not on the blood pressure medicine that I was on because I was jet lagged all the time. But I, I have time to think deeper. Right. And... I don't think I'm the only one that has that time now. That being said, I think I'm also a little bit more sensitive. I work as part of a worldwide organization. Like I said, we have people in 140 countries. We have people that work in my team in Brazil, in India, in Barcelona, Spain. And you know, right now they're under a, an awful onslaught. And I think about them not as units to production, not as members of my technical team, but I think about them as people. Not to say I didn't think about them as people before, but it's really a depth now and a depth of pondering about who I work with, where my family is, how they're doing, how my kids are, and they're in different cities around the world, around the country. Um, a lot of it is, is, remember I was talking about my dog? Baxter and I, we we get outside a little bit more now than we used to. We wrestle in the grass a little bit more than we used to, and I think that's uh, something good, 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 good to have. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's interesting what you said about kind of slowing down and thinking deeper, because I hear that from a lot of people, and I and this is kind of a corollary. But the other thing I hear is that people have changed the way they listen. That Maybe in the past, the big rush, it was always listening to respond. And now it's listening to comprehend and understand in a, in a deeper way. And I just hear a lot of people talking about that. And I think that's going to cause improvement in business, but also just in, in life, the way we relate to our loved ones around us and stuff like that. So it seems like a good thing. Yeah, I think that notion of active listening I had a college prof- a graduate professor who tried to preach that to us all those years ago, active listening, ask the questions, but listen to the answer. Just don't hear it. And uh, I haven't talked to Jeff in 30 years, but he was spot on. And I think, I think this notion of actively listening to people 
is something that I hope all of us remember and then pass down to our children and uh, the people who follow us in our careers as we go forward. Because, you know, business can be tough, the world can be tough, but but we have time to listen to each other. Yeah. That's a good way to, to leave it here. I want to thank you for today's conversation. It's been packed with information and interesting thoughts, but also I think with some of these bigger ideas, it's very encouraging to me. And I, you know, I've been a, a business reporter for many years and a tech reporter and been in, in various roles. And I defend business a lot to my friends. And But it's really great to hear you talk because I feel like this is an example. This is the way responsible business people operate. And you talked about AI, you talked about the data, and it it's really encouraging me to, uh, to me to hear this. So thanks very much, Jack. Well, thank you, Steve. It's been, been my pleasure and um, look forward to catching up again sometime soon. The Data Cloud World Tour is making 21 stops around the globe so you can learn about the latest innovations at Snowflake's Data Cloud at a venue near you. Join your fellow data leaders at one of our full-day events to network with Snowflake customers and technology partners, attend educational breakout sessions, and learn how to drive more value from your data. Find an event near you at www.snowflake.com data cloud world tour.